Hey, everyone. It's Matt, founder of Angulos Philosophy and host of the Medusa Metacast, which is a podcast that focuses on philosophy, mental health, and difficult and complex conversations. Welcome to the first installment of Elegant Ethics, which are episodes that will pose direct questions challenging ethical assumptions that are simple in construction, but infer extremely difficult and complex answers. I'll guide them a bit with my own predisposition, obviously, but they will be designed to make you think about ethics in situations where you may have otherwise overlooked them. Ethics seem to be of no concern in the modern era, and I'm trying to change that. Today, the focus will be the COVID vaccination mandate currently affecting federal public service employees in Canada, of which I am one. Everything is complicated, admittedly unless you don't know anything about them. And ethics are no different. That being said, ethics are rarely ever openly discussed anymore. We seem to have replaced caring about whether or not we know the right thing with presuming the right thing, or just doing whatever our affiliations and groups suggest to us is right so that we can maintain our membership, neither of which are done by the wise or the modest. As a result, I'm going to put forward some questions in hopes that they may generate discussion between us or you and your friends and family. And the hope is that we will produce a reduction in egotism and tribalism. For those unaware, in Canada, there are about 300,000 federal public service employees that recently had to either attest their vaccination status or be put on unpaid administrative leave. So what this means essentially, for those that are unaware, is federal employees were told they had to inform their employer of whether or not they were vaccinated. If they were not vaccinated, or if they just chose not to disclose that, either for personal reasons or for rights reasons, whatever the case may be, to their employer, they were going to be assumed unvaccinated. And in either of those cases, employees would not be permitted to work, even from home, you are not to report to any office building, and you are not going to be paid. So they've obviously called that something very euphemistic and bureaucratic, unpaid administrative leave. But that essentially means if you don't tell us your vaccination status, or if you do and you're not vaccinated, uh, we will take away your livelihood. That's essentially what that is. There are significant concerns with this. Besides the fact that this was a huge gamble, and I've noticed this is something no one's really talking about. The prime minister made a big gamble that still has the potential to generate discord and a breakdown of social services, depending on how long this mandate continues and whether or not booster shots will be added to the mandate. There was no way of knowing what the results of this mandate may have been. Even if you knew in advance what the vaccination rates were among federal employees, you didn't know the extent to which they would have been willing to share that with you. And so, as a result, the prime minister was perfectly willing to put the citizenry at risk if a sufficient number of federal employees failed to attest or potentially weren't vaccinated. Because in the absence of employees actually working or being unwilling to attest, that would affect you, the citizen, being able to access actual services that you would need. And he was really willing to make 
that gamble, it seems, which doesn't seem to be of any concern to anybody. This essentially makes a medical decision a condition of employment because it fundamentally alters the employment contract of existing employees without negotiation and without permission. And this has somehow been accepted by the totality of federal executives as being benign and uninteresting. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, they also have an employment contract and the precedent like this, if it doesn't regard things like the vaccines in the future, could actually affect them. And it's possible that their existing contracts could be modified without negotiation and without permission. But this doesn't seem to be kind of uh, concerning for any of them. It's kind of weird to me. In a landscape where it seems virtually all Canadian media serves at the pleasure of the Liberal Party and simultaneously seems to have a weird and unhealthy amount of contempt for the public, issues like this aren't being given their due attention or respect, especially because of how significant the implications are for the future of Canadian life. There is plenty to take issue with regarding this mandate, but there is a much more straightforward approach in trying to grapple with this issue. And it is done by asking a few very important ethical questions. You are an ethical animal, aren't you? I bet you think you're a good person too, right? Well, let's try to break it down really simply, right? This is elegant ethics. The first question to me seems to be clear. And the question is, can someone or should someone be prevented from earning a living? The answer to this question is likely yes, in certain situations. For instance, if someone is convicted of a crime and is serving a sentence, then the argument could be made that they shouldn't be permitted to compete with law-abiding citizens in the market, especially if they're dangerous. But you could also say that, well, giving them the opportunity to compete in the market may contribute to their rehabilitation. And so you could make a counter argument. But I think that at least whether or not it's right or wrong, the argument could be made that there would be some situations where someone could be prevented from earning a living. But what about other situations? And if so, what are they? And why are they or should they be acceptable? I'm actually not sure there is an answer, but let's extend from the first one and consider someone that could be characterized as a danger, but maybe not a convict, someone not serving a sentence. Remember, though, that these mandates aren't laws, and that's an important distinction that I know is glazed over very frequently. Things like orders and counsel or policies, mandates, they're not legislation. And even if you want to call them something similar, they're not quite the same. And so for those unfamiliar with the legislative process, it means that they never passed through a series of reviews or assessments specifically designed to determine their legality or legitimacy. And this further confounds the issue. You could make the argument, right, separate from that, that the unvaccinated pose a danger in the workplace. And this is often the implications of such mandates, albeit supporters never seem to have the audacity to state it so explicitly. So if we're concerned that danger in the workplace is something that we're concerned about, and that might be something or a situation where someone could be prevented from earning a living, well, the question has to be asked directly. Are they a danger in the workplace? 
And if so, how much more of a danger do they pose compared to anyone else in the workplace, especially if currently it is still recommended and often expected that everyone maintains their distance and wears a mask? And this could change over time, and each respective agency, of which there are almost 80 federally, could have their own rules. And if this isn't a fair comparison, is the risk they pose sufficient enough to hold their livelihood hostage? Because that's what we're talking about, right? It's not whether or not someone could be argued to be a danger, which I've yet to establish, and someone else could have to make the argument themselves. But is the danger they pose sufficient enough to ruin their life? That's essentially the question. But you'll notice it's never really framed quite like that. And if the danger to human health is the justification for this disguised discipline, then what punishment do we reserve for the man that introduced the dangers of mental illness, loss of income, and therefore property instability, and the demoralization that accompanies this inability to work and obtain meaning, which each employee would suffer, and we know these are predictable outcomes. If danger is the concern here, are we not simply trading one danger for another? By mitigating one particular risk or danger in the workplace that has yet to be well flushed out and articulated quite so explicitly, are we not introducing another danger that is affecting this individual? I would argue that unpaid leave poses a greater danger, if that's what we're referring to, than being in the workplace while unvaccinated. I suppose it depends on whether you've decided, as a person, that one group is worthier than the other to be punished. So, for instance, someone would say, well, I don't mind if that person is being punished because they didn't get vaccinated. But if that's a decision you've made, what does that say about you? And what does that say about our prime minister? So we are now in positions to choose who it is that may potentially be put at risk or may suffer losing everything by an unwillingness to share information, even if they are unvaccinated. I want to introduce an ethical reasoning tool called the veil of ignorance, which works as follows. I'm making a choice, but for the purposes of answering, I am to wear a veil of ignorance that prevents me from knowing anything in particular about who may be affected by the choice I'm going to make, including myself. What this means is that I'm to accept that any decision I will make will affect an unknown group of people, including myself and loved ones. If we are examining a decision, like a vaccine mandate, for instance, while I am wearing a veil of ignorance, then my perception of the legitimacy of the idea should persist, regardless of who it is that it's affected by and not just because I won't be affected by it. Let's imagine that the prime minister is engineering this policy and deciding whether or not it is ethical. And he decides that it is, knowing that everyone he loves, including his wife and children, are either not employed by the federal government or they are employees that are vaccinated and they're willing to attest this to their respective agency. Well, it makes it really easy then to decide that this is an ethical decision because I'm not affected by it. As far as I can tell, why should I be concerned about this power that I wield that I can just push through? What if then, though, that he wears the veil of ignorance and he is no longer permitted to acknowledge that his loved ones 
wouldn't be immune from the effects of this mandate. Because after all, the purpose of this tool is to accept that your decisions may affect anyone, including yourself and your loved ones, because you are ignorant of their status. If it is possible that his loved ones or that even he himself would be prevented from working, and this could potentially result in them being destitute, would he still believe that this is an ethical policy? Of course, Trudeau is rich, and so he probably wouldn't concern himself with such things. But what if he were poor? What if he were a single mother with a deadbeat ex and simply didn't want to get vaccinated? And then this new version of his existence were the eyes through which such a policy were being formulated. Would it be ethical then? The point of this exercise is to showcase that there are inherent limitations on our ability to predict the detrimental effects of the choices we make. And just because they don't affect us doesn't mean that they may not be catastrophic for others. As a result, we are to imagine that we are the one succumbing to our choice in the worst way possible. And if this outcome weren't preferable to us, then it could be that it may not be an ethical decision. How can a policy be ethical only if others feel the effects of its implementation? Would Which choice would you make if you were the one empowered to make it while wearing the veil of ignorance, knowing that you yourself may put your family on the street? It may cause them to develop serious mental health issues and commit suicide. This conversation would likely be very different if these vaccines worked like other vaccines, admittedly, and if COVID posed a greater existential threat than it does. But these aren't the case, are they? I'm not sidestepping the fear and loss that has accompanied this pandemic, but we need to be reasonable about the extent to which introducing new and foreseeable dangers to people's lives by not permitting them to work is an appropriate measure to take, considering how severe these dangers are likely to be. It can't honestly be about risk management if we are creating new predictable dangers by potentially mitigating others, especially when the existing ones appear to have been sufficiently managed, at least in the federal public service, in my job especially, with a mask and a distance for over a year now. That is, unless it really isn't about safety at all, which it may or may not be. Fundamentally, this mandate cannot be about danger or safety, in my opinion, because we are permitted to have a religious exemption to this jeopardizing of our livelihoods. So let me elaborate a little bit on that. Are the religious and unvaccinated less of a danger than the secular and unvaccinated? If religious belief is a worthwhile exemption, which is a personal choice we make about our lives as adults, why is it a more legitimate exemption than the simple belief in the sanctity of your own body and to expect that your employment doesn't hinge on these beliefs? How are these fundamentally different? Why is a religious belief different than a strongly held personal belief? And why is one set given protections under the law and the other not? There are countless examples of health and safety measures taking priority over religious belief in Canadian law. Why is this one different? If, as we've been told, 
it's being done for workplace safety. We reach some rocky terrain as we move further along in these questions, admittedly. And if we haven't sufficiently answered them, then the presumption should be that these mandates are fundamentally unethical. Unless that is, you believe that we should assume the legitimacy and wisdom of government policies by default without actually being able to receive the arguments that they are in fact ethical. And if you do, I'm not sure how you've managed to justify this misplaced faith in your own mind. You can still agree with mandates, irrespective of their ethos, but your investment would then be a measure of your emotional attachment, not one of reason or ethics. And without those, then I'm not sure how you can believe in things like rights or protections, because they are the products of ethics and reason. So then, if Canada is an ethical country, and if being Canadian is to be an ethical person, then how can such a mandate exist? You tell me. And if these questions are not or cannot be answered, then I would argue that such mandates are unethical until they can be demonstrated otherwise through argument, which I would be willing to hear. But the default conclusion reached with things is not that we infer, imply, or assume their ethical standard. And then we reach one final simple question with a difficult answer. Is it ethical to follow an unethical mandate? It's a tough one, but I don't believe it is. If you like this, then please let me know. For those unaware, ethics is my favorite area of philosophical inquiry, and trying to answer difficult questions like this are among my favorite discussions to have, whether it be recorded or with other people in person. I hope everyone has a lovely day. Thank you for listening. I hope maybe this provokes some thought. Maybe you'll generate some discussion. Take care of yourselves and one another. Derek and I will be recording an episode later today, and it'll be released sometime this week. See you next time.